Inside discovering new skills in honor of the new season of Nailed It. What's something you're terrible at that you would show off on television? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and I thought of this question, so I'm going to say nailed it, uh, because I'm a halfway decent baker who could make edible food but have no decorating skills whatsoever, which is where things go hilariously awry on nailed it. Uh, please cast me on nailed it. Uh, I am at Patches, and I forgot to come up with an answer, but I, I'll, I'll, off the cuff, I'm going to have to say making the bed. I'm just, I can't figure out wow. how to make it neat and tuck in the right parts and arrange pillows and fluff them in the right way. I'm trying, why would that be good television? Would uh, I was going to say Marie Kondo, but who's, who's like a clean up your house specialist who could pivot to game show? So um, we asked you what your flaws are and you said, my flaws are that I just don't have enough flaws. <laughs> no, my flaws making the bed. <laughs> mm. Mm. I mean, I'm not, I'm sorry if that is a, like, that's a good one to have because it seems like I don't have a lot of flaws, but I guess I don't have a lot of flaws. <laughs> I'm David the Seven. I'm going to go with painting because it is totally different from doodling. And doodling, I'm good at. And like maybe drawing by definition, but painting, no idea. It would be a complete, uh, another failure. Maybe, hopefully, entertainingly. And I'm David Ehrlich. And uh, since Katie took cooking, I guess I'll have to go with co hosting a podcast. Mm. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 295, colon, Pandemic 4. It's the week of Wednesday, April 1st, 2020. That was the day that in 1976, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs founded Apple Computers in a garage. I totally forgot it was going to be April Fool's Day, which I hate. Uh-huh. And uh, No, we, we've uh, collectively decided as a species, I would think, I would hope, to uh, take a Ooh. flyer on April Fool's Day this year. I would like to think we've got better things to focus on this year. But like also, what? you never know. Uh, you know, the world. You should that, play funny that, jokes at your home. Yeah, be like, uh, hey, Java, touch your face. Ah, April Fool's. Be like, hey, the <laughs> pandemic's over. Go outside. Just run around. <laughs> Push him outside, lock the door. Right as like the dog uh, is walking down the hallway of the apartment. I could po- sure poke holes in the April- mask of your favorites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> The one good April Fool's Day joke I ever did, I got from the internet, where you put googly eyes on everything in the fridge to make it look like they're people, uh, and just let someone That's wait cute. to open it. I That's know, positive. it's like, yeah, I would no, this not is the kind of prank I can accept. Yeah, the, this is the kind of prank I can accept, where it's just a delightful surprise, not, ha ha, you moron. So everyone think about more delightful April Fool's surprises they can bring into their uh, quarantine, and the people stuck in it with them. Uh, David, are people doing things uh, while they're stuck at home, like reviewing us? Few of them are. Uh, maybe not as many yeah. as we would we would like, uh, but handful of them. Uh, let's see where to begin. Um, let's start with uh, wow, good addition to KRPU, the Katie Rich Podcast Universe uh, mm. by HD. I mean, there are just so many consonants in a row here; it's not worth uh, getting into. Looks like somebody's cat just walked over a keyboard uh, and then redoubled their steps. Um, I would also point out before I read this very brief review that. Technically, this podcast isn't an addition to the Katie Rich no, podcast universe, it's so not. much as yeah, the uh, interesting choice yeah, of words. The, the sun, at the center of the uh, Katie Rich solar <laughs> system, anyway. Although maybe um, it's like a Captain Marvel for con. this person. It's like a prequel that came after other. You know, mm. makes sense. Great hangout content, but is Ehrlich just not able to hear when other people are talking? Maybe equipment upgrade time. Stay safe. We can blame it on the equipment. We can blame it on a. Uh, deep psychological need to uh, uh, <laughs> prove the validation of the conversation. And it's, uh, you know, talk to my therapist. I'll give you her number. I haven't gotten in months, which is a uh, great timing pandemic wise. I should zoom her anyway. Yeah. Uh, very helpful. Haven't you Thank heard you. about vocal distancing? Where, uh, <laughs> <back home>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people keep telling me about that. <laughs> it's so strange. Um, uh, Char D four, two seven says another review. I've given this podcast a glowing review in the past, but I want to say again that I'm really enjoying it, especially in this time of uncertainty. Uh, I think the uncertainty they're referring to is what's going to happen in season three of Succession, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. David, 
Uh, so yeah, excited I, to have a real conversation with you about Succession. Yeah, I, uh, I just watched the entire show in the last uh, three days and, of course, finished it just in time to see the announcement that inevitably they have uh, delayed production on season three. I had sort of assumed they had already shot it, um, thinking it was a summer show, but I guess it's more of a fall show. So it's going to be a while. Anyway. Uh, no, they used to always shoot in winter and air in August. That was the way the first two seasons worked. So we all had reason to believe Succession would be spared, but they weren't. Uh, uh, that is a bummer. Um, well, actually, well, Succession is definitely, I mean, they shoot like the summer stuff in far flung locations. So I guess they could do it in a reasonably compacted time period. But like the second season definitely spans like, you know, enough time. They have the winter episodes and then they have Wait. the, uh, yeah, but they're like, it's like the ultimate like coats and turtlenecks yes. in New York show. I was about it to is, say, but, they do a summer season, like, it's going to be strange. They are, uh, when they do, when, when they're in Washington, D.C., in the penultimate episode, and then when you briefly see Kendall in New York in the final episode of season two, the weather is decidedly warmer. We're away from the winter months. Obviously, in all Greece right, or wherever right. they are, is warmer. Anyway, we'll we'll get into the nitty-gritty of the succession season two timeline at a later time. There's going to be a lot of tan. Uh, tan yeah. suits. Fashion. Mm, uh, she's right. going to have to wear wide-legged shorts? I'm not. I'm not following. I'm self-quarantining because of pre-existing health concerns. So media, entertainment, like podcasts, have been keeping me company, which I thank you for. And I'll also pass on a recommendation in Black Sails, available on Hulu as well as Stars. <laughs> I compare it to Deadwood, but with pirates on tall ships instead of cowboys in the Old West. The biggest complaint some have is that it takes several episodes to really get good, but we're all stuck at home, so what else to do but try something new? Stay safe, everyone, and thanks for the podcast to keep us all sane in these times. Well... Char D four two seven. I think I can speak on behalf of all of my fellow co-hosts when we uh, when I wish you the best of health and encourage you to uh, not that you would need our encouragement, but to stay inside, stay healthy. Um, and uh, black sales. I don't know. It always sales. It always felt most... kind of cheap. <laughs> no, it, it's a big production, but you only watch the trailer. No, not the black sales. Is the most recommended show on this podcast for some reason. A lot of our listeners have recommended Black Sales in reviews. I feel like, but it's strange. It has, it, yeah. The show doesn't exist. Like it hasn't sure. happened, right? Yeah, but it also it didn't feel cheap by uh, like you know financially. It just felt it was like the Jerry Bruckheimer taint was on it. It just felt like kind of uh, Jerry Bruckheimer's taint was on. Yeah, it? Jerry Bruckheimer's yeah. taint was on it. Um, that, that is actually what I said and what I meant, but in a different context. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, did, it just didn't seem like a legitimate sort of enterprise, especially at the heart of peak TV when it premiered. I was just like, I want to watch the more high-minded stuff. But maybe, maybe. What I really want is something actually much lower brow than I think Black Sales is able to offer. I want something like the other Star series, Spartacus, um, which was <laughs> really basically just softcore porn, but in a way that served the 300, like... Uh, AirSats 300 shtick, so much better than 300 itself. I really enjoyed that show. Um, Slaughtering. Yeah. Uh, All right. Samuel Malone says, reliable gooby greatness. I started listening to this podcast back when the Dissolve folded, RIP. And I've been looking for some more film stuff online. I've been a regular listener now for five years. We listen to Fighting in the War Room. What you get every time is an engaging and authentic discussion between insightful industry pros who, exclamation point, are, exclamation point, friends, two exclamation points. This is an indie show made by warm, intelligent people. I uh, I feel for them that one sided. <laughs> there was no G on that word, and I'm going to roll with it. Uh, rude. I feel for them that one sided podcast intimacy that comes with chatty shows like this. It is delightful. Uh, I feel for. I, yeah, I think he said he feels the one. I'm not sure, but I appreciate it all the same. It is delightful to benefit so directly from each of their unique approaches to media. These are the kind of people who regularly make time to celebrate movies like broadcast news which I was just thinking about today, because of Holly Hunter in leading what might be the least successful arc in Succession Season 2, but she's so wonderful. So give it a try. P.S. Patches serves up the protein by bringing the signature fights. Dave Seven is the unsung yet crucial carb base. Katie is the special house secret sauce that completes and elevates the dish, and David is the kick hot sauce. It's a lot of sauces, (laughs) but it it sounds really tangy, and I want to bite. Very helpful review. And finally... Uh, Nick with, uh, what looks like seven Ks. Uh, perfect. A perfect podcast. Wow. Uh, that can't be right. Uh, as of writing this review, I'm on day 15, 16. Who fucking knows? I may have inserted the expletive there. Of social distancing. Ten very solid minutes post my second viewing of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Hit the air horn. 
and one full bottle of wine into the night. I assure you all this is relevant to the review. I promise. First, I actually don't know how I would get through, in parentheses, the crisis without this show and the wider world that has opened up to me. In the heavily abridged words of another podcast, recent fifth anniversary episode, Griffin Newman voice, winky winky, before this show, I never really felt like I had a place that I could go with all my nuts pop culture takes. But this show changed that. I at times found myself passionately on the side of David, other times pro patches, even still frequently Team Katie, or of course, safe with Dave Seven. Whenever I feel like my fave of the week is on the wrong side, someone else inevitably raises their voice and makes the case I'm vocally yelling from my side of the speaker. It's a kind of passionate disagreement that only a group of close friends could have. And giving the chance to listen in brings me a ton of joy. And right now, anything that can do that is appreciated. Second, David's incessant portrait proselytizing pushed me to this pick. Wow, the alliteration, uh, my hat is off Mm. to you. Uh, And if that's not the most conclusive argument in his favor, I'm not sure what is. It is maybe the only good movie in in all capital letters. I often think especially when watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire, is this the only good movie? Uh, or actually, maybe just the only movie that there is. Third, the wine should now explain this entire review. Thank you, gang. 100% love you all, and I'm sure I'll be really embarrassed about this review in the morning. No reason to be. This review is very helpful. Uh, I'll report a concern, but on your behalf. On the world, it's the pandemic. Maybe you heard about it. Leave us a review on iTunes. Fighting in the War Room. We'll read them on the show. Greatly appreciated, especially in these times. We really love hearing from you. We hear yep. for you. We hear. I'm so, David, I'm so glad you finally won Succession. You're, you're just going to throw in Succession references throughout this whole episode, and then we'll never actually have a segment about it. Uh, but maybe, we hear maybe, for you, maybe David. We hear for you. King of Edible Leaves, His Majesty the Spinach. It's the funniest thing any human being's ever said. <laughs> I mean, I still find the way that people, yes, the way that people, no, the way that people talk about Secession Online is still absolutely insufferable. Um, but watching it on my own time is fun. Who's your favorite character? Okay. So this is a a big, big question. I hope this is on air. Um, no, I mean, like this is something my wife and I were just talking about. It's like favorite versus who we relate most to. I think sadly I see. I mean, I think it's sad to see any of ourselves in any of these characters, but sadly, I see a little bit of myself in Kendall. I see a little bit of myself in Roman. Too much of myself in the Cousin Greg, uh, Tom combo. It's sort of spread all over the map. Wish I saw more of myself in... Come on! I mean, Patches... Cousin Greg. No, Patches, that might actually be the the nicest thing you've ever said about me, whether or not you mean it. (laughs) Uh, in that way or not. Um, but this is a question for another time. We can all debate. We can do a whole quarter quill about figuring out which succession character we all are. <laughs> um, please, please. No. We'll, we'll get Wait, there. let's, let's stop and give Dave a music break so we can do our lockdown check-in, which we can, we already crossed David's succession off the list. <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right, it's time for Lockdown Check-In. We decided this week, I think based on some listener feedback you saw, Patches, that people missed a more structured version of the podcast not talking about uh, coronavirus. It was a direct uh, commentary on our podcast. I saw someone broadly speaking like, oh, my God, all the podcasts I listen to are talking about coronavirus all the time. Um, And I can understand why that would be. You wrote us an email saying that that resonated with you. It did because, like, we don't want. We're thinking about it twenty four seven. This is we're we're trapped in our houses, so let's let's escape a little bit. I, I've read also that podcast listening is down, and I understand why too. Like, you're not driving around, you're not getting out of the house, you're not commuting or whatever, you're not listening to podcasts. But I hope people can turn on this podcast and still uh, find some escapism, find pop culture talk. That's what we're here to do. And I don't want to pretend like what's going on is not going on well see that's maybe maybe that's something that i could ask as somebody who's usually works from home is what do you guys do when you're like uploading or doing something that takes a lot of like thinking computer thinking their internet power probably slack messaging with someone else who has a problem i I can't stop i gotta do two things at once so you never listen to podcasts within your own house me i do i listen to podcasts when cooking yeah, I do that a lot. Or cooking cleaning. Or like doing, yeah, cleaning, mm-hmm. doing laundry, folding laundry. Um, no, I'm not listening to podcasts now because my kids are at home. Like, that's what's changed everything for me. Which I uh, imagine is happening for I, I am happy to brag that I have gotten my 10,000 steps every single day, mostly uh, in order to collect some new Pokemon. We get it. Your this child is, is a lot. Yeah, 
your child is a lump you can pop into a stroller. I love it. I strap him on. I can't wait until I can <laughs> strap him on facing out so he can just like beam out the cuteness. I can't um, wait for that either because then I'll be old enough to be destroying your life. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's so it's going to be so miserable. If it makes you feel any better, Patches, he's in a phase right now where basically from the moment he wakes up to the moment he goes to sleep, with the sole exception of us being on our walk, he is going, <laughs> not crying, but just like I mean, making like a loud, you know, the baby sound. Um, so that means you and him are just making that noise all day now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, this is how he, the way that uh, I sound to a lot of our listeners is the way that uh, Asa sounds Yeah, can we get Asa on the podcast now? Yeah, uh, Asa. Asa, um, sorry. Oh, oh my yeah. God. I, I can't, can't do it. I is this can't. the first time you've mispronounced his child's name? No, I mispronounce does. every name it's every time. A- it's not it's like a badge of honor. Like my closest friends do. It's fine. I don't really care. But I'm just Pat- trying to get Patches it right is- while the die is, is not cast yet. But uh um, He's genetically incapable of pronouncing a name. This it's is a, a hard fact. I'm not supposed yeah. to get anything. Uh but <laughs> I I uh um I've been listening to podcasts on my walks. That's where I get my podcast time in. Um I also listen to the Waxahachi. Speaking of people mispronouncing things, I'm not even sure what the correct pronunciation there is. The Waxahachie and the Nicholas Jar albums on my walk the other day, which was nice. Need some music. Anyway, that's where I was from the podcast. That's David's quarantine content log. <laughs> uh, and Neo I'm, 2. I'm addicted to Neo 2 for the video gamers out there. Like, I'm like, actually, actually it's a problem. I was, Asa was asleep strapped with the baby Bjorn on my chest today and I didn't want to wake him up so I just stood in the living room and played Neo 2 with him sleeping and it was the most intense game but he was just like songed out you could be listening to podcasts while gaming have you considered I not while playing Neo 2 because it takes a little bit too much concentration but I certainly listen to them when I play like fucking Pokemon Go which I don't even think you play you just sort of participate in occasionally stare at uh, I, I, for some reason, this weekend decided I needed something that required absolutely no investment. Michelle's been playing Animal Crossing, but I decided to pick up Nintendo Go- NES Golf from like Ooh. 1989, the original NES with Mario hitting golf balls. It's very difficult, but it's great for listening to podcasts. I don't need to listen to the 8-bit music track on that, so I listened to a podcast and golfed. I'm getting really into virtual golf in my quarantine. <laughs> what the hell is happening here? Patches, one day, Help I've got to bring you into... Well, don't, real golf's crazy, but i got to bring you into the uh, into the Mario Golf family. My friends and I religiously play on the one um, GameCube that we can still find. Ooh. Uh, Mario Golf for the GameCube. Truly the greatest video game ever made. Uh, fucking stroke play on, uh, or not stroke play. What is the other, what's the stroke, other one? I can't remember. Play? On Toadstool Tour. Uh, well, it's like, you know, you either count by strokes, oh, you I count by it. like, was, whole, yeah. Uh, it all sounds dirty no matter how you slice it. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. uh, what, that's the greatest game ever. Sorry. Go on. No, I was going to say, was hitting some balls on the, on the American course this weekend. Had a great time. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> we keep talking about plugging in our, we have the Wii, like the, I guess the original Wii. Um, and keep talking about trying to plug it in and see if Charlie might like it because you know he's three and a half. We'll yeah, be discussing swing this later. It, around. it feels like there's probably something on there he could play successfully. Like obviously not Mario Kart or whatever, but uh, I don't know. We haven't even tried to see if it still works. Well, those original but. sports games, those original like play yeah, tennis, like the, play bowling, and that kind of game. Yeah, like the Wii do. Golf. Like I mean, he probably would fuck it up, but I don't think he would care. Wait, Dave, are you doing Ring Adventure? Speaking of uh, video games that are supposed to get you moving outside, because I went on my Nintendo Switch and I was perusing Dave's uh, gameplay, which is something you can do on the Switch: spy on your friends and how long they've played things. And I think oh, Dave God. played the uh, Switch exercise game for about three hours total. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't done it since the uh, actual quarantine. <clears throat> Not because I don't. Uh, l- uh, no, it's because I don't like it. Um, uh, I like the exercises and I like the motivation to exercise, but like the RPG element is pretty grating. That might be something that might be worth listening to podcasts too. But I also heard that they, uh, released an update for it to make it slightly less annoying and add some more game modes. So maybe it's time to go back to the ring fit adventure. Get exercised. Yeah, it's like the video games right now are uh, my like weird escape to, to replace the time that I would usually like be smoking since I'm trying not to do that anymore. So I'll like yeah, because uh, you'll die if you get the fucking virus. 
Yeah, well, there was that like that thought germinated in my head as like going down the joke route, and it ended up just being like, <laughs> oh yeah, because you'll no you'll die. <laughs> is there is That's that a statement of fact, sir? What? Well, what? I mean, you're, if smoking smokers, you know, if they have weakened lungs and respiratory systems, are definitely going to be more susceptible to the virus. I think Dave is young and healthy, and probably doesn't smoke enough that. I'm not a fucking doctor, but I would have to think it's not going to work in your favor. <laughs> well, either way, it's um, I've I've been only been playing games I could like dip in and out of to like replicate the smoke break sort of thing, with the exception of um, a lot of my parent friends who are at home around like 10:30 p.m. Mountain Time. We've been trying, you know, some various online gaming together options. Your Mario Karts, your uh, Overcooked, your, uh, I mean, I got Java to play some Mario Party the other day. It's just like little uh, dips into trying to make that social. We we played Quiplash, Katie and yeah. Patches and I. Quiplash? Yeah. Which is, I, I want to do it as a podcast on Twitch one night for our listeners. Mm-hmm. That's I'm putting it out here so that we're forced to do it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> is this how we start a Patreon, and so people can watch us play Quiplash? Yeah, that's how do we start it. a Patreon. Do it, David. David, you want to, you want in next time? Uh, on, on, I don't even know. I'm still stuck on Quiplash, but yeah, Patreon. Let's do yeah. it. Whatever. Quiplash. <laughs> it's a game uh, that we played through. Patches set up like a conference call, and then hosted. The main question screen, and it's part of the Jackbox set. So on your phone, you go to Jackbox TV, and you enter a room number, and you enter your name, and you could play from the phone uh, just with access to the on-screen prompts that were being screened on a conference call. You know, ways worked pretty well. I, I still don't know what you're talking about, but I'm in. Whatever. And then, uh, wait, David. Oh, I'm also yeah. trying to adapt my D&D group to, uh, to Roll20 off of pen and paper system, which has been an interesting DM task, considering I was preparing to run Descent into Avernus straight out of the book, and it was supposed to be like our first book campaign, so I printed up a whole bunch of maps and like bought new printer ink for the venture, wow. and now here we are. I have to basically redo them digitally, so it's an it's a interesting time for gaming. Uh, yeah, I was surprised by how well Quiplash worked. Um, I have not been like a big, like, party games person. Like, it's not, it was not a big part of my, like, social life when I did interact with people in real life, but it feels like the ideal thing to do when you can't see people. But it turns um, out you can make one too many Jeff Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein jokes. You can. Mm-hmm. And coronavirus jokes. It should be noted. Yeah. Wait, you can? Uh, you can. Yeah. It turns out. We discovered this. Well, if you add David in and, you know, any maybe just one other person, then the whole voting pool changes. So that's true. Who knows? If, really? if we if we get Joanna on, maybe people really will pay turn out. Yeah. I know. Um, wait, David, how's your mafia game going? Uh, mafia game, it, it goes over the course of a week. So it ended uh, last Friday night and a new one is starting, I think. Were you innocent? I was innocent. I, I was innocent, uh, which... It was very like I. It was my first time playing with this group. They all had history together and were playing on that because we played these rules where you don't know who's mafia even after they're killed, um, and so it really is a lot of just sort of uh, intuition and, and understanding what you know about other people. Um, so I was very comfortable in my townsperson role of just playing innocent, like I didn't know what the fuck was going on and just wanted to watch, which was true. Uh, I was the last person <laughs> to get killed before. Um, the mafia were revealed. Uh, so I almost made it to the finish line with sort of a blood sacrifice. Um, and unlike Kendall Roy could not, uh, turn around at the 11th hour. Uh, wow. but yeah, uh, but, um, uh, it was very good. I'll tell you guys something off mic about the final moment, which was very satisfying. Um, wow. but, uh, yeah, it was a good game of mafia and, uh, I look forward to the next one now that I have slightly more of an idea of what I'm doing. But I don't think I was cut out to be in the mafia in real life or in a game. Really? I don't think so. I know the thing board game, which is sort of like mafia in that, like, if you're one of the thing, you, you do a lot of convincing of the other players, um, was maybe one of the most sadistically pleasurable moments of my entire life. Playing that with friend of the show, Rachel Walker, last Christmas, so like Christmas like 2018. And I was the thing. And I got, like, I got, Man, I can't even remember what happened. <laughs> it was what a long a weird version of the movie where David's the thing. 
I know, but it was like guys. I think spent, Dave is a thick. What? No, I'm not the. I'm not oh, the it was thing. Alex. This guy named Alex Greer, and I spent so it was like he had to choose between me and my wife uh, to pick which one of us was the thing. And man, I I sold out my wife in a second. I sold her down the river so hard, <laughs> and there was like so much low key. Um, sexism at work which i really tried to work to my advantage <laughs> just like try to prevail on this other man to uh, trust in me and gaslight him into thinking that my wife was somehow shady even though i knew uh factually that uh, i was the only guilty party uh, i tried to take everything that i learned uh, on the news <laughs> uh, and to my advantage it was a lot of fun um so maybe i would be a good mafia i don't know jewish mafia it's a thing was yeah. a thing how much how much was it like the ending of the irishman uh, <laughs> Aren't we all living in our personal ending to the Irishman, just like trapped in a room, like looking back at our glory Jesus. days? Yeah, but the the, the priest won't even come and see me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> social distancing. Um, maybe I should Whoa. leave the door the door of my fourth floor apartment open ajar, so um, Scorsese's can, camera can come find you. Scorsese's camera and the neighbors can uh, talk to me through it. I'm not sure. Well, anybody else got any quarantine updates? I thought we were going to recommend Spider-Man for Charlie. Oh, right. Wasn't that our whole goal of the segment when we right. set out down so, this path? Dave, all right. I don't know how much you've familiarized yourself with the Marvel options on Disney+, Plus, but there is this series of fairly new, like, very short little episodes, like four and five minutes long, where it almost looks like Funko Pop versions of the characters. Like, they're very small and cartoony oh, no. and, like, kid-appealing-like. And I mean, it's the, so it's all narrated by Spider-Man and they all kind of have lessons. Like it's really aimed at a preschool audience where it's like him talking to Iron Man and being like, I remember this time Thor and I solved this problem. And we watched one tonight where Rocket and Groot and Rocket learns not to yell at Groot because then Groot doesn't hear the thing he wants to say. He just hears the anger. And that was where I sent some of you guys that uh, Charlie called Groot the Sandcastle because he looked like a sandcastle in his like little short, stumpy cartoon version. Um, so anyway, that's on Disney+. Plus. There's a good bit of that. We can watch it. But Charlie keeps asking for Spider-Man. And there's all these old Spider-Man animated series on Disney+. Plus that are way too advanced for him. We tried a couple minutes of Spider-Verse. That movie is really complicated. I don't know what age kids can grasp it, but definitely not Charlie's age. Um, so, Dave, what what else can I show Charlie with Spider-Man in it? Um, uh, he's still a little young for most Spider-Men in terms of uh, navigating all of the plot, but in terms of working up from what I think you're talking about, which is uh, Marvel superhero adventures... Yeah, I think that's what it's called. All right. Uh, so the next step would be see if he thinks Spider-Man and his amazing friends is too boring. That's the okay. 1970s, 1980s animated series. Uh, okay. So, but it's like old. That was on Disney Plus? That's uh, on Disney Plus, yes. Uh, okay. I think they're all going to be on Disney Plus in terms of Spider-Man uh, animated series you could watch. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of them on there right now. Yeah. And then uh, the next one I would try if... Uh, Amazing Friends is like too old fashioned is Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, and that's kind of fun and also involves, uh, this instead of Peter Parker like talking to himself, sometimes he talks to himself and like a little chibi Spider-Man acts things out. So that's <laughs> like the next cutest version of okay. uh spider-man and i don't think that's I think too cuteness adu- is a is a good concern to have here yeah i don't think that's too adult there are some things that are gonna be like scarier designs but you know i think he could take it or you could I definitely just say for the record i totally understood into the spider-verse at the age of uh of 35 when you saw 34 it. big boy <laughs> i was 34 <laughs> when i saw it I mean, I'm just honestly thinking in the first minute you hear Chris Pine talking about how he's Spider-Man and then you meet Miles Morales. I'm like, he's going to become Spider-Man and Charlie is not going to understand why this is happening. And then I remember that there's multiverses. I'm like, forget it. This is not. (laughs) Are you calling Charlie a dummy? I, if I had taken him to see it, taken him to see it in theaters, I think he would have been amazed enough and watched it and not asked questions. But I think at home, it's just not, it's not going to gel. Too many Spider-Men. Um, I will. I do have to brag about him briefly talking about old fashioned things that he did watch an entire Buster Keaton short off of YouTube last week and requested to watch it again. So he is not a heathen. Yeah. Uh, Katie, tell the story you just told us about what Charlie said to you over the walkie talkie tonight. Oh, he, where he uh, was didn't want to go to bed, so he stepped up to his baby monitor, which we is just an audio thing, and spoke into it as if it was walkie-talkie to say, "I have energy right now," <laughs> uh, because he didn't want to go to bed. That's what Someone you want to look forward should. to, David. 
<laughs> the only person in this house with energy. No, his little brother has more than all of us combined. Unfortunately. Don't stay away for too long. Don't go to bed. I'll make a cup of coffee for your head. I'll get you up and going out of bed. Yeah. I don't want to fall asleep, I don't want to pass away I've been thinking of our future cause I'll never see those days I don't know why this has happened but I probably deserve it I tried to do my best but you know that I'm not perfect I've been praying for forgiveness Alright, so the currently airing, I mean we're, we are in a period now where there are still new shows and that'll be drying up sooner than any of us would like but uh, one of them that is actually a miniseries, so it won't last for long, that's currently airing on HBO, is The Plot Against America, which is uh, David Simon and Ed Burns, not that Ed Burns, an adaptation of The Plot Against America, Philip Roth's novel, uh, sort of visions in alternate 20th century America, where a very uh, Trump-like um, uh, Charles Lindbergh, who was known to be quite the anti-Semite in his day, uh, runs for president and actually defeats Franklin Delano Roosevelt, wins the election in 1940, and steers America towards fascism sooner than happened in real life. Uh, mm. Not that Philip Roth knew any of this when he first published the book in September 20, 2004. Um, but the uh, adaptation stars Winona Ryder, Zoe Kazan, uh, John Turturro with a Cajun accent for some reason. Very, very rare. You I think get a, it's supposed to be a Charleston, South Carolina accent. Whatever. It's, it's a strange accent to hear on a, on a jam. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I mean, John Turturro, uh, John Turturro is, I feel I can speak on behalf of all Jews worldwide, a very safe assumption that I make frequently, um, is sort of accepted as one of us. He's played a Jew and successfully enough for me not to uh, feel put off by it, which was a problem I ran into when I was reviewing the Jesus roles uh, in which he plays uh, a Puerto Rican man, Jesus Quintana, but now for an entire film. Uh, and the conclusion I came to was just that like, if I don't get mad at him about playing Jewish and uh, <laughs> the way that he plays Jewish, I, I uh, can't get mad on behalf of Puerto Rican people everywhere that, uh, He's doing Jesus Rolls. It was a fun performance. I enjoyed that movie probably more than I should. But anyway, uh, who knows what the fuck the accent work that he's doing in this movie is, in the show is. But he's in it. Everyone, everyone's doing a lot of accents because there's a lot of like uh, mid-century, like Jewish, like like New Jersey accents. Yeah. Uh, and then Turturro's is just like, like other every, plane of existence. And he's still good. I mean, I, I still enjoy yeah, good. watching the character. He just feels like he's uh, like a little like a Kentucky space chicken sort of thing going on um, from Futurama. Like, he's just in a different, in a slightly different uh, tenor in a lot of the show. But the rest of the cast, including throw, it's phenomenal. The rest of the cast is very locked into the time and place. Um, I'm really enjoying seeing Winona Ryder sink her teeth into some meaty stuff. And her uh, particular narrative thread is only going to become more loaded as it goes on. As, I was, uh, as you could see, um, is telegraphed from the first episode and then especially in the coming soon uh, montage at the end of it, which basically ran through the entire show, it seemed. And so exams phenomenal. And the men whose names I do not know um, are, are also great. But Katie, I've only seen two episodes of the show, two of the six that have aired thus far. The third one is airing as we speak. You've seen, I think, three and a half. Can you tell us uh, your general impressions on it so far? Uh, I need to tell you something really important that I just learned that Morgan Spector, who plays kind of the patriarch of the family, uh, Herman Levin, mm -hmm. uh, who is a largely theater actor who I don't think I'd ever seen in anything before and is really wonderful on it, mm -hmm. uh, is married to Rebecca Hall. Mm -hmm. Did we what? know this? Is he British? Yeah. Is, is what? Is he British? Uh, no, he appears to be American uh, and they met doing a play. Mm -hmm. um, I am in awe because I've been watching the whole thing being... Cause he is really like, attractive. He's incredibly attractive and he's, you know, he's supposed to be this like working class dad, but I guess like I'm in my mid thirties. I look at dad characters. I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, anyway, he's wonderful on it. Um, eventually, uh, David Krumholtz, who is, uh, you know, has been a character actor since he was a teenager and is also wonderful, shows up as his brother. They are great together. Um, the third episode, which is airing as we record this, where the Levin family takes a trip to Washington, D.C., and kind of has, like, both a encouraging experience visiting the Capitol and, because it's the beginning of the Lindbergh administration, kind of a discouraging one because they are Jews just trying to travel about in the world. Um, 
I like I like this character, the, the Herman character, so much in particular because he is so dedicated to being an American. Like he is watching this country swerve in a way where it really wants to consider Jews not to be Americans. And the John Turturro character, who is a rabbi, is kind of playing a part in that, where he's supporting in, in later episodes. I. I don't want to spoil too much, but it's based on a book um, is kind of supporting this program that would like send Jews all around the the country to like integrate themselves better into America. And this character Herman is so insistent that he is an American and a Jew and he can go to his local Jewish deli and eat look and like not live on a street and live on a street with all Jews and still be an American. Um, and I really like that as mm. someone who loves the 4th of July and America and like patriotism in all of its good forms. Um, Pluralism sounds dangerous. I don't know. Uh, it's just, it mean, it is like so many David Simon shows and that it like, it takes time to get going. Like I'm looking at the plot descriptions of the first two episodes being like, yeah, not a lot happens. Like, you, you know, you watch the show, you're like, whoa, alternate history where Lindbergh is president and you expect crazy stuff to happen. You but expect like about, fucking Watchmen. Yeah. And yeah, it's about like Zoe Kazan's character getting a job and like their like mother having dementia. Um, but you're watching this incredible moment in history happen through these small domestic moments, which is kind of exactly what we're living through right now like part of the weird thing about the early weeks of this pandemic and and i guess we're still in them but just being like man this is going to be remembered for the rest of our lives this is going to be one of the craziest things that ever happens to us hopefully but day to day we just kind of have to like record our podcast and like watch tv shows and play video games um, i was thinking about that like just what you were just saying today yeah. we'll watch succession i hit scratch over your bingo cards so we have to name drop succession every segment of this episode <laughs> and um i was thinking like you know we were just talking about how they had to delay shooting the third season. The scripts are ready, but uh, is it possible now to write a show that essentially takes place in 2020 and not in any way reference or write that in? I mean, even if just in the sort of background details, I mean, it's yes, not the kind of thing you yes. can sort of gloss over. I mean, yes, is it's it, possible. It yes, is? many shows will. I mean, it. yes, because I think people had the same questions about writing. Can you write a story that involves the president in this time? And we people found a way around that. You just don't mention them and but you don't think, regard it. But I think it's like, you know, if, if like Lady Bird isn't about 9-11 and it's not about a post 9-11 America, but it references the Bush administration. Like it's it, and I think it references oh. 9-11 talking about New York. Like it, it, it talks about it puts it in the context of this major event because it knows that if you're watching something set in that period, you're going to wonder about it. But also yeah, nothing but, that okay, comes out see. will come out during this in the moment. Like. It will have dissipated. We're going to see a bunch of movies that are uh, whatever the economic fallout of this, and the economic and the political fallout of this uh, pandemic ultimately wind up being. We will see that seeping into the fabric of movies. Adam McKay is all over the explainer. Uh, But I, I think, yeah, I think, I think you're probably right. I do think that like uh, there will be. You want to have some normalcy? Oh. That's like that's the stuff. I, I, I was thinking more about stuff that's like set in 2020, made in 20 years. Like that. That I think you know, it's like if you watch something set in 1945 and it doesn't reference World War II, like that feels weird. Right. But next year, if like yeah. you know, fucking whatever, like the new, not the new Bond movie because it's already finished, but like whatever was in production that isn't going to come out till next year doesn't manage to write. And if Ghostbusters Afterlife doesn't reference this, I'll be fine with that. <laughs> go, go, I would go back love, to the shoots now and get yeah, it. I would, I would love to see Jason Reitman try to shoehorn the pandemic into Ghostbusters oh, Afterlife. Oh. Is the only thing I want to see about Ghostbusters Afterlife at this point. How would they do it? How would they? Uh, would they be like, oh, what happened now, to uh, what happened to Egon? Oh. So glad we're back in school with what? our science teacher after the pandemic. How would they do it? The entire second Ghostbusters is about an infecting mucus running under the streets of New York. How the, would they do it? They, it's, it's easy. It should be easy. So you're saying they're going to say the coronavirus was the ooze? I'm just saying if you no, want to make a pandemic movie out of Ghostbusters, it's like a, it seems like a very small pivot. It seems like an easier pivot to me than the pivot they need to pull off, which is we based our entire movie off of the lineage of the one cast member we can't bring back in the franchise that is based around the idea of ghosts <clears throat> slimer is going to come up to someone and be like blah, 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 and then they're going to be like ah social distancing slimer oh god my mask they just digitally come add on. masks to everybody <laughs> jesus <laughs> uh david would you like to say anything else about the plot against america um i you know I, as much as i uh am happy to turn my brain off during a lot of this i very pathetic especially i'm looking after my son during this time, I'm not working until the uh, 
second to last week of April. Um, I have, other than like being at Sundance or Toronto, never been this tired <laughs> since uh, becoming an adult. Uh, kids, hard. Nobody ever tells you that. Um, but no. uh, so I've been watching a lot of, of really mindless stuff, a lot of Below Deck, a lot of Anthony Bourdain episodes that I've already seen five times, which are wonderful and remind me of uh, the world beyond my window. Um, and Succession, I guess, is a little higher brow, but still very soapy. And The Plot Against America is really the only weightier thing that I've that I've watched so far. And uh, yes, I mean, I, I, I don't know what to say other than um, it, it is like a splash of water on the face every Monday night. Uh, not that I need it, but um, it's a really, really compelling show thus far and wonderfully performed. And I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of it. We probably should have saved this until after the whole thing in there. It's only six episodes, but listen, what else we got to talk about? You know, we'll circle um, back in, in uh, yeah, two more podcast weeks. Podcast is free. We could, we should have talked about, we, we, let's uh, preview for next week. I also watched the invisible man and birds of prey on VOD uh, and like them both. So put a bit in that. Great. You want to start? Or you want me to? Mo. I talked a lot in the last one. You st- you talk Mo. for our final Mo. segment tonight. Mo. <laughs> the hell? Mo. What is that sound? What is That's that? That's the robot Mo. Mo, who the cleaner robot. Mo. Oh, he got his Mo. own short, right? Or is that yeah. Bernie? That's Bernie who got his own short. Feel the burn. Bernie? Yeah, yeah. Bernie. Yeah, Bernie. Uh, oh, we're on the ship. Mo. We're going back to Earth. Oh, oh my! Bernie That's like Muppet Bernie Sanders. <laughs> count <laughs> count me Sanders count me how many percents there are, Bernie. <laughs> one uh, two <laughs> sorry uh okay what are we talking about we're talking about wally we're actually just talking about well katie told us we're talking about movies that make us feel hopeful about the future or something question mark but katie mm. you and i both rewatched wally recently the pixar film um probably because we have children but i was struck by this movie because I'm not really looking for for hopeful films as i mentioned uh on a previous podcast and this I, I would love to hear why you think this movie is hopeful, because it is just a scathing indictment of humanity. <laughs> and I was really taken aback watching it again, because it is, it is just like ruthless claws out. If this movie came out in 2020, Fox News would be having a fucking meltdown, and everyone on Twitter would be kind of pissed off, too. They probably everyone were in 2008. Everyone I was on Twitter in 2008. Yeah. Were we on Twitter in 2008? We were. That long? It was new, but we were like, here's what I had for lunch. I see. There was Wally, and then there was Twitter, and it was all downhill from there. It was the sign. Actually, in Wally, they're using computers. They're constantly on their phones. It yeah. Was, uh, this was, it's, it's a strange movie because it seems oh. to really take Disney to task. It takes uh, Apple to task, and somehow the, the movie, the Pixar is like a deviation of both, right? Like... So, Katie, why is Wally a hopeful film about the future? Because the movie that I saw was about how humans fucked up colossally over and over and over and over again, and then basically got handed their future. And I'm not optimistic for them when they land back on Earth and have to figure things out just because a few people thought, like, oh, pictures of parks and pizza looks cool. We should rebuild Earth. Pizza plants. Um. I find it hopeful basically for exactly what you're describing. Like you watch how much everyone fucked everything up to the point that they had to flee the planet and go somewhere else. And were so enmeshed within their screens that they lived in these little hover chairs and were so connected to it that they get knocked out of their chairs and they can't walk and they change their clothes based on what the machine tells them they should change. Um, and then you see the character of the captain who is so fascinated by this world that he's left behind. I mean, the part of the movie that has always been so moving to me and I think, while stuck inside and kind of thinking about the world that we've left behind, like watching him ask, like, what's a hoedown to find dancing while Wally and Eve kind of dance outside his window. It just suggests to me the extent to which people want to hope and connect with something, even if they've been told to forget that they don't want to connect with it. Like, I don't know that it gives me hope for climate change or like, which is kind of more directly what Wally was about, but 
being in this time now where human society has been so completely disrupted, um, knowing that we still have these innate desires to be together, to move, to touch the earth, to know what plants are. Um, I find, I find it helpful in my day to day life when like we manage to go on a hike or my kids are interested in rocks and puddles and stuff. Uh, and then in watching Wally, it just kind of reminded me more of what people, can be at their best um and kind of what i think wally gets to let them be at the end um even if people like patches don't think those humans stand a chance i think they do well i guess that's the interesting thing like i want to feel hopeful and i want to see art that makes me feel hopeful or finds the potential there a reason to have hope um and i'd be curious david david if you if things come to mind for you having that feeling of hope or feeling like hope um, is something that is actionable that can that can come to fruition. Uh, rewatching Wally, I thought that the beginning was so scathing, and and so there was so much despair to the world that Wally has been left with. Um, and that when he comes aboard the Axiom ship, um, that that was its own dystopia. The the world after the dystopia was also a dystopia. Yeah, that of course. I don't. When they come back to Earth, I, I, you just don't know how the story can go on. How can I mean? Because the it's a positive Pixar the, the, ending, but like, but because the robots are the ones who have learned to be people, when the people have abdicated that responsibility. Like the movie is about robots, like not just achieving sentience; they've done that long ago. But kind of being the like cheerful, silent guides toward like, here's what you're capable of. This is what we're learning how to do, even though you didn't intend us to do. Like, you're built for this. Come do it. Like, the the post-credits of Wally show the robots helping them learn how to, like, make right. fire and build plant and, like, plant plants and all of this stuff. They have these guides that they built themselves that they didn't realize they had. Yeah, it's funny, that Peter Gabriel song. and that Love and that, that Peter Gabriel song. Love that credits song. Scene is really uh, effective. The animated credits that are the history of art and starts with cave paintings and ends at um, like Van Gogh or something. So let's take um, that outline that Katie just said, and can't we just apply it to a C- Encino man? <laughs> uh, can we? Go uh, on. Please uh, discuss further. <laughs> oh, you know, uh, I've been thinking about the cinema of Brendan Fraser in these quarantine times, both Encino Man <laughs> and Blast, Blast from, from the, the Past. past. <laughs> I said both, both Encino Man and Blast from the Past. Uh, for what they show, for what I think Katie's talking about, or maybe if I could boil down what gives me hope uh, in movies, or what gave me hope in Wally, and then what kind of gives me hope in. Uh, other types of movies everything from like you know the the your your encino mans to your rudy's is like the the innocence of somebody that won't quit uh mm-hmm. even though like they're insurmountable odds and those odds could be silly a la encino man or blast from the past or uh very dire like with wally where sort of the the message is like that innocence and that hope is what we pass on uh, to, you know, other people or other generations or other types of beings, uh, I think it's a very nice and hopeful message. I almost went with, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but I think that's sort of like a capitalist fantasy that doesn't, that yeah. doesn't exist. But are movies, I mean, that raises the question, of, like, are the movies that you find most hopeful also specifically movies about hope? Like, I think of something about, like, uh, Children of Men, which is explicitly a film about hope about the, the promise of the tomorrow project about this one uh one woman who is capable potentially of uh, indicating a another tomorrow a, a future for humankind um i'm not sure i love that movie dearly i'm not sure if i find it as in, intrinsically hopeful even though it's a film about hope the value of hope the virtue of maintaining hope i it, it's still a very bleak although increasingly recognizable portrait of our life and it's like the the it's about an act of hope but it doesn't like fill me with hope do you understand yeah. like this yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, like, and, that's, a, that's a weird outlier example is like the bleakest movie about hope that exists probably well there's also there's like a way you could approach it i think that is definitely applied to like broad love movies uh which is like sort of bittersweet which i don't know it's like the the interstellar route let's say where it's like what you're really saying is something about like hope and love but by the time you get through the plot of the movie it's been sort of mangled in this melancholy and whatnot so much that it's 
not as pure. Like, uh, I guess it's easier to think about children's movies than it is to think, oh, no, there's like a, there's like, there's always Amelie at the back of my mind being like, mm. here's just a movie that's about, you know, finding a person and finding joy in your surroundings and that sort of so, thing. I mean, like, so is The Apartment, which is kind of a cynical movie, but it's about finding a person and joy in the place that you, you know, don't expect to. Yeah. What like, about Star I, I mean, Wars, movie, like, A New Hope? I mean, movies that are about human connection, like you can really apply it broadly because I think most movies in the end have a hopeful aspect to them. Hmm, maybe, but I think there's a difference between hope being like the motivating factor and yeah. uh, like a really good structured thing that is just supposed to give you. I, I guess I should apply this to what I'm thinking about. Um, over the weekend with the, the Storm podcast, we watched uh, In Bruges with our patron subscribers and it's a very well-structured movie. It is a dark comedy, so there are funny parts, but the movie itself is very bleak, and uh, all of the characters, even though you may like them, if you put them in, like, an objective world, the whole argument of the movie is, is they are they redeemable or not? I wouldn't say, even though it has, like, a hopeful tone, it's, like, about hope. But then again, can I really just like apply it to just pure things? Cause I don't think something like Sandlot like necessarily makes me feel hopeful, even though mm. it is sort of about like that friendship hope feeling. Uh, yeah, the Sandlot think- does not make you hopeful. Yeah. I think that checks out. <laughs> I think like for me, it's something about like what humans can achieve specifically. Like I think you can have a hopeful movies. That's not about humans, obviously, but that leaves you with something that's saying like, okay, we can do this. Like we are capable of a lot. And it's even like, you know, I was mentioning earlier, like we watched a Buster Keaton movie and watching what that human was capable of almost a hundred years ago. Like that gives me a certain but that's kind the of thing. hope. A lot of these movies are centered on, on specific people. Uh, hearing you all talk about this topic reminds me of something like 128 hours. Uh, the 127 Danny hours. 127 hours. Yes. Uh, I can't, I don't I know names. I don't know the titles of films. Um, I think about that Danny Boyle movie. I think about the James Franco performance. I feel like it's, it's, I really like that movie. I feel like it's soured at people's taste, but, uh, uh like, I mean, it was bad from the moment it premiered. Uh, no. This bad. podcast literally began with David not liking it. It's not, I really fell for that performance and like the, uh, the velocity of the, the camera work and the ways that he, spends that time stuck under the rock um uh, and and then you're hopeful like here's a person who does something totally drastic to save his own life but that these these are stories about single people like we don't see a lot of hopeful stories about society right it's hard that's to what wally's about it is it, it really is it, i'm hearing you talk about it, I'm like i'm not i'm kind of grasping for movies that feel similarly that have like the whole world coming together and deciding to go in a different direction to feel like everyone can get on the same page and feel hopeful Hmm. about something. I'm I'm not sure movie. This is the the actual, the plus of having $150 million budgets to make movies. Uh, You can have the entire world come together and not many movies can do that. I'm trying to think. I mean, I I feel like you're overlooking an entire genre of Christmas movies that are mm. basically like all about like community come together, like at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, like and then everything that's been spun off of that. But like, uh, if you look at like around holiday movies, I think you're going to find a lot more of that community thing. It's hard. Also, a lot of westerns are about building yeah. society, like being out and like trying to defeat the bad guys, and like the sheriff wants to defend the town and like have a have a culture and protect the women and children. Um, and you have like literal like barn raisings at the center of western. I think you have to have something extra governmental because there. I can't think of a movie where the moral is the the government did the right thing. Uh, Independence Day. Uh huh. Uh, did the government do the right thing? Well, I mean, Bill Pullman's the president. He gives the speech. The, the singular know. person, as Patches is saying, Bill Pullman definitely does well, the right thing. Well, but it's about, I mean, the Area 51 initiative to have the ships to fight the aliens. Like, that's, pr- I mean, I don't think it explicitly credits a guy. I can't remember if there's like a governmental bad guy in Independence Day. Um, but I would say that's a largely successful government. There effort. is maybe, I think. I think I could be. Yeah, no, he's the guy. He's the guy on Air Force One. uh, Yes, it's uh, Xander. Xander. uh, What's his Berkeley? Xander Berkeley. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I always can I confuse. uh, (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Independence Day. Yeah, roll back. Mars attacks. Katie, does Independence Day give you hope? 
Uh, yeah, I was thinking about it as an example in here. Um, I, th- I think because it's the way that it brings, like, you know, you got Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith coming together to fly an alien spaceship to save the day. Like, the idea of unlikely allies and of, like, people kind of coming together from different walks of life to, to find a common purpose. You know, Randy Quaid manages to have his moment of success. There's a reason that Bill Pullman's speech is, like, lasted probably far beyond the impact of the movie itself. Well, then, in that case, is it because it's this, like, um, significant othering like the end of the watchman comic where it's like we have aliens we know aliens are evil so therefore we could all fight together to blow up the aliens at the end or are you or do all disaster movies bring you some sort of hope mm, maybe the, maybe more the latter i mean i think about our current situation like we have a very easy villain and a virus that like everyone can agree is a bad thing um, but it's the lack of effective governmental response that's made it such a disaster so just the idea of seeing people capably working together and like doing their jobs well i'm, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing about just like people being being competent and getting shit done so what if you took some like roughnecks that were just drilling oil <laughs> and you taught them how to be astronauts and shot them into space because what? they were the if. only people what who if? could drill into the comet. Man. That was on TV. That was on to TV today. Right now. It was on <laughs> TV today. And uh, I mean, spectacular as always, of course. But I, I only tuned in when they're coming back to Earth and they aren't sure if they're going to be able to land. And Steve Buscemi is mourning the fact that he had a perfectly good death spot picked out for himself up there on the asteroid. Um, but uh, yeah, no, what a what a movie that is! What yeah, a movie! I, Love I, it. I would, I would watch the hell out of some Armageddon right now. Maybe it'll be on when we done when we're done recording. I guess I just put like the two things together. Uh, I like Plot Against America, but I'm only halfway through the second episode because I find it intensely uncomfortable. Like the first one lulled me into a sense of place uh that you know uh and uh jewishness and growing up with the <laughs> place eyes, like of jewishness kid. place we, and place jewishness and uh place and jewishness i mean yes. there are places of jewishness there are synagogues <laughs> slash house uh fair enough but then like the, by the second episode i was already um my mind was pulling different parallels and probably some anxiety from my real life and supplanting it on these characters i'd come to identify with and it became this whole weird thing. I don't know if I could go full into like disaster movie mode unless it's huge, like Armageddon. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's like uh, if it's like you know um, I don't know maybe. I, I guess, mean, I haven't watched Outbreak or Contagion. Yeah, yeah, that seems kind of real. Zombies still seem kind of too. Yeah, real. yeah. Or at least I haven't felt I like do, do a zombie movie. But yeah, no, because there's definitely something about like going to the store and looking at all the people around you and like trying to see who's going to be the one who infects you. Like that level of suspicion of the others is not right. I, I feel like the mist would be bad right now, even though I like the mist in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, like- I like I would. I, I don't want to confront it as literally. I want just like like more. I, I mean, Wally, I guess, is even more literal. But like, I would watch like Field of Dreams right now, like something that is about the gooey. Like, and, I don't mind gooey. There's something about Ingenute, the triumph of the human spirit. I This is going to sound so weird. Uh, and I'm trying to get someone articulate and elegant to write about this on Polygon, actually. But I've been really thinking about, I want to go back and watch movies that are just about normal life. That would bring me hope. Like, here's systematic success. Or at least systematic intricacies where normal things could take place. I've been thinking about, well, one, I've been reading some poetry. At home. Oh my Reading god. Poetry and laugh at each other. And that <laughs> Here was we very go. fulfilling. That what? was very fulfilling. It was oh very fulfilling god. because <laughs> I gotta say, sit down and read some poems because they just make the world seem is your surreal. Is your second number point two. you're writing a book about uh, no. couples? <laughs> no. The second <laughs> thing I was gonna say is that I've been thinking a lot about the films of Frederick Weissman, um, the documentarian. Oh, you boy. can watch a lot of his films on Canopy for free. Um, and I, I look forward to going back and doing so because I want to watch films like even his recent ones like National Gallery or in Jackson. Because Heights you're really horny to see a uh, institution that actually works. Or to see people <laughs> sharing an indoor space. I'm not yeah. saying everything he's depicting is, is functional systems, but uh, I'm saying that I just want to see like verite. I want to see verite footage. I want to see life as it is, as it was, as it's calm, like his perspective 
is very soothing, even if he's in the middle of something mildly chaotic. I mean, he's made movies about boxing gyms and zoos, but I this still is go like back to me after like five beers when I'm searching for YouTube for like colorized early Disneyland footage. Mm. Uh, I've, yeah. I've mentioned this in person before, but I uh, so 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 want Frederick Wiseman to make a movie about the single most important institution, artistic institution anyway, that we have left in this crazy world. Uh, and of course I'm talking about the New York Film Critics Circle. Uh, I think a Frederick <laughs> Wiseman documentary about the process by which we, we vote, um, especially in a year where uh, the movies themselves are sort of undergoing some sort of existential crisis due to the pandemic and everything else. Uh, and people are going to be like, let's put succession on our list. Ding. Uh, wow. We can, um, uh, or curb your enthusiasm. Again, I maintain that it's bullshit for anyone to be like, oh, Twin Peaks, The Return is the best film of a given year, and not to the same consideration to curb your enthusiasm, despite store season. Uh, but yeah, I would love, I would love for Frederick Wiseman to do that. Yes, maybe he's bigger like- and better things to do, but. Come on. I feel like we Don't mainly need to wish for his continued health. He's ninety. He's in. He's in oh, tough shape right now. I hope he's like thinks like far Logan away from Roy. He's not going anywhere. He's a lion. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope, everyone, give us your hopeful movies. I would love. I would truly love to hear from people on what they watch that makes them feel hopeful about humanity. I mean, I have like ridiculous but it was like every time i sign into like hbo or disney plus there's some dumb movie that's like gives me a nostalgic ping and i'll like get wrapped up and like fall into sister act or like cool running oh yeah sister act pulled up on disney plus recently for me and i was like oh damn yeah or while you were sleeping also is in the same little uh little row yep yep it's a bunch of stuff out there uh yeah i'm interested to see uh people have uh like especially if they're like categories of movies you've stumbled upon patches is looking for some very documentaries katie's uh stuck with children so that's a little yeah. bit limiting many uh, a pixar movie will fit the bill here yeah but i'm like I mean, the way we disaster movies work for katie i'm interested if like sports movies work for people mm. or if like there's a certain type of comedy that works better now than i'm trying to before. figure out how desperate i'm gonna have to get before i show asa a pixar movie like we're, we're currently going through wow. this this little mini library of children's <laughs> books that we have and some of them are are better than others but i'm kind of in the mood right now where understanding i'm gonna be rereading a lot of these books dozens of times i want to read them all at least once first before we repeat and with movies it'll probably be the same way but he'll be older and he'll be old enough to ask for things so it could be difficult i mean i don't know anything about parenting but isn't that going to make it harder for him to learn how to read not watching pixar movies no not not allowing him to reread books until you've cycled through them all (laughs) Uh, he's four months old by the time he's old enough to learn how to read we will uh, be repeating the same few books whenever i have to read books uh, a child that doesn't get to read i get to make up the stories based on the pictures so that's that's where dave has his fun if it's any consolation (laughs) david i showed uh eleanor totoro and and she has watched it like five times already in the last yeah. few weeks. Eleanor is and, a uh, sophisticated woman with good taste. This yes. all checks out. And the, and you can buy a Totoro children's book that splits the whole movie into like four different stories, and you can read it of course, yeah. that way. So we're really living. How, how do you think life. I engage with Totoro? <laughs> I can't sit through a whole movie. It's crazy talk. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. Pixar. I mean, I think Wally would probably be one of the. Well, I don't know about content-wise in terms of, you know, it being age-appropriate, but I think quality-wise, Wally, Wally would definitely be one of the first. No, because Wally, Wally also is fun silent. and express, and it's fun and expressive robots. I think it works yeah. at a really young age, and it like it, I don't know, it, it teaches you something about like learning how to watch something and look for. It teaches you about how to turn a movie and... off halfway through. Wow. <laughs> no, because then you miss Bernie and Mo and all the good robots. No, 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 no. That's that's no, no, no. Katie, that's, that's all in the first level. half. That's all in the first half. The the stuff on Earth is like forty minutes, like a third. Mo yeah, factors true. into the first half of the movie. Um, once you get to like Jeff Garland, we're out. No, that's where you get all the stuff about the the triumph of in, humanity. No, the triumph of humanity this, uh, is knowing when to turn off Wally. Take. 
<laughs> Only yeah, watch I half cannot, of movies. The end. I, I cannot wait for Netflix's bar with just pictures of the characters uh, to really bite you in the ass. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That does it for this week's episode. We'll be back from our quarantine bunkers next week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, senior editor at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, fightingintheworm.com, where you can listen to the episodes. You can share them with fellow quarantine friends. What else are they doing? Um, that's it. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. I'm the film critic for IndieWire, except for this month where I am just just dadding it up at home. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find all of us on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Uh, and you can find me in my my uh, pandemic bunker playing Neo 2. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes, please. Um, especially if you're playing Neo 2. Let me know which weapon you're going with. I'm currently rocking out my Tonkas. Uh, that will make sense to some or one of you, maybe. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes and read on the show. Always great to hear from you, especially now. Thank you. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also find me on The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast where we are working our way through Lost, a t- place where you are isolated on an island for, like, I think 43 days now. And this week we're doing the episode SOS where a character named Bernard is like, why aren't we doing anything to make our lives better? And that seems really relatable now. Check up with us, uh, The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me on the Little Gold Men podcast at Vanity Fair um, and on VanityFair.com too, but mostly just the podcast uh, where we're doing a rewatch series ourselves. We watched Sunset Boulevard this week um, and talked about it. Uh, and we're going to just be going through some other classics for understanding Hollywood and the Oscars and anything else we decide is, uh, is an essential. So look forward to that. Uh, you can find us all, or you can find me on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where, again, I would like to hear your movies that bring you hope. Or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of the new season of Nailed It, what's something you're terrible at that you would show off on television? The one and only. Big truck, no clutch. Wrist rose, don't touch. French Siri, I'm so drunk. Cause I can't drink and drive, where's my chauffeur? Find the whopper, rip the coca. I really hold this time I work, I don't flush. See, I was in the work, now my friend, I saw the top. She said the best friends, I bet they both fuck. Cause they both cost, I said I'm so drunk. I'm done, I'm done, hold on.